It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast, Sam Ferris here. And on today's episode, we recap the first Vodafone test and look ahead to the second with a man who played a key role in the amazing Adelaide test of 2005 and was there for the Adelaide annihilation last week, Mike Hussey. G'day, Mike. G'day, Sammy. How are you, mate? Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was in a dream there in Adelaide, but uh, yeah, amazing result for the Aussies. I'm still sort of pinching myself as well, Mike. Uh, we were both there. Uh, you were commentating at the time. It just felt like every ball was going to take a wicket. Can you kind of wrap your head around exactly what happened there? Well, yeah, you're exactly right. That's what it felt like. Uh, the, the bowlers, particularly Cummins and Hazelwood, were just on song. Every ball was in that challenging you know, area, great line and length. There was just a little bit of movement there. Um, and they just, the Indians, the poor old Indians, they just seemed to nick everything. So, um, unfortunately, you know, you have the odd day like that in your career from, from a batting perspective where... You know, your, your team just nicks everyone. And, and the Indians, they would have been scratching their heads as well, thinking surely someone's going to, you know, get through and we'll get a partnership going. We'll scrape our way to 100 or 150 or something like that. But they just kept kept getting out. It was, it was unbelievable to watch. Um, yeah, I, it brought back memories of when I was in South Africa uh, and we were nine for 21 in the second innings uh, in Cape Town against uh, the South Africans. And But thankfully, Peter Siddle and Nathan Lyon got us up to 47, which, which wasn't much better. <laughs> Yeah, you got a golden duck in that game, didn't you? I did, mate, and I don't <laughs> want to really relive it. Uh, it was the worst shot ever. It was a massive wide sort of uh, ball that I chased off Mornay Morkle and nicked it straight to third slip. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't fun. I don't think it was the worst shot ever, and Brad Haddon's not here to defend himself, but him running down the wicket to Vernon Philander and trying to cut him over backward point for six, I know his thinking was... I'm going to get some before they get me, but seriously, yes. I, I understand. Maybe that's <laughs> yeah, what that India was, that needed. That wasn't a good shot either, no. Well, maybe that's what <laughs> India needed. They needed someone well, to come out there and not defend. And just like if Rishabh Pant was playing, maybe he could have gone out there and thrown the bat around because blocking wasn't doing them any any good. Yeah, but it's, it's a difficult situation. If that's not your natural game, you're right. They didn't really have that sort of player that could come in and just change the momentum of the game. Rishabh Pant might have been able to do it, but when they're bowling that quick that well and getting movement, um, it's pretty hard to hit them off their length as well. And, and it's embarrassing. If you get out playing, you know, like get going for it and playing a stupid shot, then, you know, you, you get sort of criticised even more. Yeah. Okay. So if you haven't been living under a rock, you'd know that Australia won the first test by eight wickets inside three days. I think what's really remarkable of that game, apart from that first session on day three, was just how much India were ahead of the game leading up to that point because uh, they'd had a good day one. They'd bowled Australia out in 70-odd overs on day two, went into the night time, only lost the one wicket, and they had the night watchman there. Uh, ready for day three. And then all of a sudden, they collapse in 15-odd overs and uh, they're all out for 36. Their lowest score in Test match history, I think the fourth lowest ever. 
just remarkable. It's actually kind of good to see Australia on the, the positive side of these things. As you said, 47, they were out for 98. I think you played in that game in 2010. Um, there was an 85. There. Yeah, so there's You're been bringing a few... up all the, the, the bad memories now, aren't you? Gosh. You weren't, you weren't <laughs> in the home by one. You were long retired by that point. But now with this bowling attack, it's yeah. still, it feels like that if the conditions are right, they can bundle these teams out. Uh, I reckon the turning point, Mike, and you probably agree with this one, was the Virat Kohli running out. India were cruising at that point. Jikarane calls him through, turns him back. No, he's out by a long way. Nathan Lang takes the catch this time for the run out, which he said now the Headingley demons are, are, are <laughs> gone. He's erased them now. I think Josh Hayes said, how good was the service? Maybe criticising Pat Cummins through there. <laughs> bit, of, bit of friendly banter between the guys. But from that point on, India lost 17 for 92 and were a different side. It's just remarkable. How much did that that moment change the game? I mean, those stats kind of tell the story, but Virat Kohli, 74, played so well, judiciously outside of something, looked like he was cruising to another Test match century. All of a sudden, game turns. I think you're right. That that was probably the moment of the Test, really. India had worked really hard um, up to that stage, you know, to get themselves into a position where, yeah, it, you know, they, they could have really kicked onto a good first innings total. And, uh, you know, I thought the Aussies bowled well. They'd really stuck at it well. They made the Indians work really hard for their runs. I think the scoring rate was only sort of two two runs per over at that stage. But you're right, you just got that feeling that that partnership was sort of now taking India into a place of strength. Um, yeah, the run out came and, uh, yeah, I think that obviously gave the Aussies a huge lift. Um, managed to knock over the Indians uh, for under 250. But for me, that, that wasn't... That wasn't the worst score in the world because if you think back two years ago, mm. they, they were out for 250 in the, in the first innings there as well and, and then they rolled the Aussies. So I was always going to be waiting to see how the Aussies batted. That, that was going to be the question mark in my mind and, and obviously we're in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> mm. um, uh, but Tim Payne, you know, really came in and changed the momentum of the game there. So you, you talk about the Coley run out. Yeah, that's a huge moment. But I think also the way Tim Payne came in and change the momentum of that match. And yes, Australia was still behind on the first innings by I think 50 or 60 runs, yep. which, which is you know, still significant, but it could have been a hell of a lot more. It could have been 150 runs. Hmm. Um, India certainly didn't help their cause with the way they caught. I think they dropped about five, six, maybe even seven catches. Yeah. Um, and and, and that's, that, that's not a good sign. Um, you know, so, so that, they had their opportunities, India, to really bury Australia in that first innings and, and then would have been in a very, very strong position. But they just let Australia off the hook there. Tim Payne played beautifully. But I, I still got the feeling, the sense coming into that second innings, India were very, were supremely confident about the position they were in. Had a lead on the first innings. Uh, they're just going to cruise and battle day and um, set Australia a big score and then... Um, and then, then, you know, they'd bowl Australia out. And, and I, just, I just wonder if they just took their eye off the ball or just uh, lowered their intensity just a little bit. Obviously, the Aussie quicks were absolutely superb, um, bowling magnificently. You talk about the banter between those guys. They really seem to work well for each other and, um, and with each other. They complement each other. They've played a fair bit of cricket together now. They're not, they don't care who gets the rewards, just as long as someone, you know, gets the wickets. If it's Nathan Lyon one day or Hazelwood the next, they're really happy for each other. And I, I like they've got a nice close-knit team within the team there. And it was just one of those days where it just clicked for them. Everything went right. Because it's funny, I had a thought coming into that, uh, that third day as well. I wonder how the bowlers are feeling. Like they'll, they'll be a bit annoyed mm. because they had to bowl on the first day 
they had to come out and bowl again on the second day in the morning or in the in the early afternoon. Um, so so they would have been weary and they would have been thinking, come on, batters, give us a nice break here, give give us a good rest. And yeah. sure enough. The batters didn't really do the job. And then they're out there bowling again. <laughs> so I wonder how tired they were. And I wonder if they're a bit angry at the batsmen for not doing their job as well. But I'll tell you what, they would have been pretty happy uh, what, what, just literally over an hour, an hour or so later. You're right, though. And that's one of the, the major reasons why India won last time uh, they visited Australia was because they kept Australia's bowls in the field all the time. The bowls have even said that, that they had to keep backing up. And I spoke to Hazelwood after the match and asked him, so, mate, you must feel pretty good that you get a couple of days off now heading into Boxing Day to rest up because it was just day after day. Pajara soaked up, what, 1,200 deliveries in the summer and just kept them out there. So you're right, having to bowl on three consecutive days wouldn't have been great. Having two days off, good outcome after that. And he must think that Australia... And I don't want to be the Grinch on Christmas because it was a great win by the Aussies. But, geez, they didn't play that well in those first two days. You're right. Like they were in big strife in their first innings. They were in big strife before the run out. They looked like they were motoring to a big score, India. If India take those catches, maybe we're talking about Australia being rolled for a really low score. They've got a huge lead. They only need to get another 150, chasing 300 in a day-night test. Hasn't been done very often. Uh, and I think the magic number's around 220 in a day-night test in Australia. I know Pakistan got 450 that one year, but that was on a flat road up at, at the Gabba, different in Adelaide. Just crazy. Like, things could be so different. We could be talking about an India win here in Australia under the pump, but in 15 overs, it's just changed. Test cricket's crazy. And that, that's what we love about test cricket. You just, you just don't not know what's going to happen. And as a player, you need to be 100% switched on for every single minute of the game or that you're involved in the game. Otherwise, it's going to change and the game's going to change like that. One misunderstanding between Rahane and Kohli, that changed the game. Mm. Um, maybe the Indians just relaxed a bit when they had Australia you know, in all kinds of trouble when Tim Payne came. I did notice a little bit that Tim Payne's strength is scoring runs square of the wicket. Up to that stage, they'd got so much success from bowling really straight. Mohamed Shami in particular, uh, Boomer as well, bowling really straight to the Aussies, setting straight fields for the likes of Labuschagne and Smith, getting, getting the rewards for it. They, they, you know, they just wouldn't let them score. Suddenly, Tim Payne came in. He started scoring so many runs square of the wicket, which is his strength. So they almost just relaxed a little bit and went away from what had been giving them so much success. So you just can't afford to drop your guard at all in test cricket. Because um, it's such a hard game and it can, as you say, and as we saw, it can change so quickly. Let's talk about this bowling attack. Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins and Nathan Lyon seem to have every base covered. They've got pace, angle, spin, the whole lot. Uh, they've played 16 tests together now, that quartet. Uh, they've won 11, lost twice and there's been um, a draw in there. The four tests they've lost, two were in that South African series in 2018. Um, and we know what happened there. And the other two were last time India toured and they were in the field a lot and their batters didn't help out them as much. I know that's important about being a bowling attack, but you kind of need to be rested and fresh to perform at your best. And they didn't get that chance last time. Warren McGrath, Lee Gillespie, Australia's other great foursome of the modern era. They played 16 tests as well. They won 10, lost two and drew four games. So together, they played the same number of matches. Current version's got one more win, but suffered a couple of extra losses. It's hard to split them. It's hard to split these two attacks. I mean, you've played with, uh, with that uh, phenomenal one in the early 2000s, Mike, um, and you've seen this one up close and played with a few of the guys. If you've got to take one tack into a test match, who are you going to take? 
<laughs> you're putting me on the spot there. I, I think the where I stand on it is that, that the current group, you, you can't judge them now. You've, you've got to wait until mm. the end of their careers when they've played, you know, uh, their careers out and, and, and you can sort of judge it, you know, then. It's, it's a bit unfair to judge it now because when you're talking about Warren McGrath in particular, you're talking about two of the best players that have ever played the game in the history of cricket. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in my mind, now, and I'm probably a bit biased, but they're in the top five or ten players that have ever played. So if you've got those two in there, then you, you probably assume that that attack's going to win <laughs> more games than not. So it, it, it's, it's hard for me to judge. So if, if I had to choose one, I'd choose the, you know, the Warren McGrath, Gillespie Lee. Um, yeah. they, they cover the base as well, <laughs> extremely well but just because they've got two of the all-time greats. Now, I'm not saying that um, Pat Cummins and Nathan Lyon and Starkey and, and Hazelwood aren't going to turn into that. They, they might, mm. but they've still got more work to do to prove that. Like Pat Cummins' record at the moment is unbelievable. Yeah. So if he can keep that going like McGrath did for 100 test matches, then, you know, awesome. Um, it, it's hard to judge wins as well because obviously batsmen have a bit of a play in that as well. Um, yeah plus the opposition you're playing, conditions. So it, I don't like to judge just on the, this team's won 11 games, this one's won 10, because there's so many other factors in it. But they're both two outstanding attacks. What I would say about the current attack is it's just so well balanced and they complement each other so well. So Mitchell Stark, obviously, he's got that extra pace. Yeah. Um, he can swing that new ball when he gets it right, but he's also devastating towards the tail. But you also, what people maybe don't realise how important he is for Nathan Lyon, mm. being that left armour and creating that rough outside the right handers off stump. So then Lyon becomes more of a threat by bowling into that rough. So, you know, I'm not saying Nathan Lyon wouldn't have taken as many wickets as he has without Mitchell Stark, but it certainly has helped him a lot by having Starkey there to, to create that rough. Pat Cummins is obviously a superstar, can play different roles. He can just play the holding and keep it tight, but he can also, as we saw, you know, pick up, those those key wickets in clumps as well. Hazelwood's just your, he's your McGrath clone. You know, he can just keep mm. pounding away. He's probably a bit quicker than um, McGrath, to be, to be fair, but similar height, just relentless with that line length. So I think they all complement each other really well. As I said earlier, they get on well as a unit. They're happy for each other's success. So I think that's a fantastic group. Um, but I can't, I can't put them above <laughs> the yeah. absolute legends of the game just yet. No, you're right. The correct answer was Maureen McGrath, Lee and Gillespie uh, because they have, got oh, Shane, right. they, they have got Shane Warren and Glenn McGrath there. And you're right, who knows where those other four guys, the current guys, will end up. I mean, you're right, the way that Pat Cummins is, is tracking 150 wickets in 31 games, a uh, few guys in Australian cricket have got to, to that milestone faster than him. I think only Clary Grimmett, um, and I think he got the same time as, as Warren and Dennis Lee, so he's in pretty good company there. And the similarities are, are, are kind of spooky a little bit, I guess, because you've got Warren and Lyon, two champion spin bowlers, sort of who are getting it done in all conditions. You've got the pace of Lee and Stark, McGrath and Hazwood are doppelgangers, and then Gillespie and Cummins are just a, a little bit quicker, can move the ball in the air and off the seam. I don't think. Uh, uh, Camo's got the same haircut as uh, as Dizzy did back then. Doesn't have, doesn't have the go-to or, or the long locks. And I don't know if he dyes his hair as much as Dizzy does either. But, um, yeah, two great attacks. He hasn't got the double hundred yet either. That's true. I'm sure if he 
if he does get one, he'll remind everyone just as much as Jason does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's fantastic. It's a, it's a quality attack and great for Australian cricket. Um, I'm not sure there's much else to talk about from that Adelaide Test match, apart from Joe Burns under pressure going into that game. The selectors stuck with him, probably helped by uh, the injuries to Pukowski and David Warner. Uh, but comes it there, repays a faith, looked a bit tentative in that first innings. Ricky Ponting said he looked like he was battling a little bit uh, with some balance issues and things like that. But with a small chase uh, required. He went out there and got a couple of pull shots away, looked a lot better, inside edged uh, an LBW where he got out to in the first inning. So a bit of luck goes away. And then uh, it probably sums up the test match, needing a six to get his 50. He pulls the ball into deep fine leg and they drop it over the right and gets his 50 in the win. So um, great to see Joe Burns. And hopefully that's a, uh, a confidence boost for him for the rest of the summer. Oh, without doubt. You know, I was really happy for, for Joe. Um, you know, well, every batsman's been in that situation where you're sort of struggling for runs and things just seem to be going against you. And, um, uh, yeah, he, he just hasn't been able to get anything going this summer at all. So I'm sure there would have been a lot of demons in his mind, a lot of doubt. Um, but it always turns. If you just keep doing the right things and you keep approaching the batting with, with the right attitude and keep it trying to be confident, it will turn. You just got to keep believing in that. And um, it was, it was great. You know, in the end that the selectors did show faith in him, um, that that would have given him a real uh, lift, I think, but you're still nervous inside because you're still thinking, okay, they're showing that faith in me, but I've got to repay that. I want to repay that. And um, after he was out cheaply in the first innings, it, you know, it, it must, he must've been really nervous, but you could just tell when you're in that sort of rut of form where you just can't get, get a score. Sometimes you just need that time at the crease even if it's just an hour of looking ugly or hanging in there, um, it, it does come back. And, and in the second innings with Joe, I thought he looked really scratchy early and really tentative. And, and, and then you're right, he just had that little bit of luck and it almost just freed him up. Even getting hit on the arm, maybe that yeah. took his mind away from all the, the doubt and negativity in his mind. And he's try, probably trying to focus on not being sore. And it almost just sort of freed him up a little bit. And he played a couple of beautiful pull shots and, um, you could just see in his demeanour, he was starting to relax. He was looking more confident in his defence and the way he was letting, go, letting the ball go. And, and you thought, hang on, it's turned here. And, and so by him having that, I don't know how long he was out there for, but, you know, it must have been, what, an hour and a half, um, you know, out there in the middle. I think that'll do him the world of good. So ho hopefully that, that's just a little boost he needed and he can kick on in Melbourne and, uh, yeah, turn that 50 not out into a, into a big 100 for Australia in the next one. Spot on 95 minutes of the crease for, for Joe Burns on a pitch that I think played all right. There's been a bit of talk about that. Uh, is the pitch to blame for the low score and the gaming over in three days? What did you think, Mike, the pitch and, and that pink ball? Um, well, it didn't look easy for batting throughout the whole test match, to be honest. Uh, you know, certainly on the first day, the scoring rate was really slow. Um, and, and you could tell the sign, I, I think, is if, if there's not many players being able to drive down the ground, then that tells me it's not an easy pitch to bat on. Um, it, yeah, normally, if it's coming onto the bat, it's true. You see players being able to hit down the ground quite comfortably. But I hardly, I don't think we saw too many straight drives at all. I think Marnus Labuschagne played a nice straight drive. But other than that, I can't remember too many straight drives. So uh, um, apparently, the grass was really furry. And I think they, the Adelaide Oval curators are doing that to protect the pink ball. They, they don't want that pink ball going too soft or getting too scuffed too quickly. Um, so they're trying to protect that. But there's a balance, I guess, um, because yeah, it, it certainly didn't look easy for either team batting. 
Um, it certainly was not a 36 all out pitch though. Um, mm. and, and I think, um, yeah, that, 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 it's crazy to suggest that it was the pitch that, uh, that, that caused that because, you know, the Aussies came out in their second innings and yes, India didn't bowl as well, but the Aussies actually played pretty well. I thought uh, Matty Wade started well, Joe Burns got into his work, you know, as it went on and, and looked pretty good out there as well. So yeah, I, I think it, it wasn't, I think it was a good pitch because we want to see a contest between bat and ball. It, you know, if you had a little bit of luck and you came out with that nice positive intent, like Tim Payne did, um, you could score runs. Virat Kohli made a magnificent 74. Um, you had to work hard for it, but that's test cricket. You should have to work hard for your run. So I, I thought, I really liked the conditions. Um, I liked that the batsmen have to have to fight hard for their runs and, and there's a, a fair and even contest between bat and ball. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I give it a big tick, to be honest. Yeah, and three for 188 was saying the pitch was bad for batting, were they? And then the run out happens and all of a sudden <laughs> there's uh, lots of low scores. Okay, well, let's, let's look ahead to the second test, which is a couple of days away. Uh, what are we thinking about the Australian lineup? Let's, let's stick with the hosts. From all reports, David Warner and Will Pukowski won't be right to play. I think David Warner is probably just a week away from getting that adductor, that groin strain um, right. And then Will Pukowski still uh, battling that concussion he suffered in the tour game at Dremoyne Oval. So if those two guys aren't fit for selection, do we see any changes for the Australian eleven? Well, I wouldn't think so, no. I guess, yeah, that's just been the talk is what happens when um, David Warner comes back because obviously he will come straight back into that team when he's fit. Um, but no, as, as it stands, well, you know, um, who else is there that could come in? I don't think there is anyone that, that yeah. really should, you know, I mean, they'll be very reluctant to change a winning team. They'll be really buoyed by the fact that uh, Joe Burns got a 50 not out. I think Matthew Wade actually um, equipped himself pretty well at the top of the order. So I think all in all, yes, you know, the batting could be better. No, no question about that. But as I said, it wasn't an easy pitch for batting. Um, you'd expect Smith and Labuschagne to sort of bounce back with, uh, you know, with uh, some runs pretty soon. So Travis Head, well, you know, he only had the one innings. He'll be a bit disappointed with the way he got out. But it's not, it's not grounds to leave him out of the team or anything like that. So I, I think um, uh, Cameron Green coming into the team is, is, a, is a big plus as well, just helping the balance and giving the, the fast bowlers a bit of a, a bit of, bit of extra break. Mm. Um, and that'll certainly help as the series wears on as well. It might be a bit harder in Melbourne. You know, the pitch might be a bit flatter there. We're not exactly sure what to expect, but just, just to have that extra bowling, bloody good bowling option too, yeah. to be fair, um, to help out is, uh, is pretty exciting for Australia. So, no, if Warner's not fit, then I, I definitely think that um, they won't change the team at all. Well, what if he is fit? And when is he fit, Mike? Who drops out if everyone's going okay? Yeah, that's, that's going to be the tough one. So if, if Warner's fit, he comes in at the top of the order and, um, and then Matthew Wade, then you have to have a discussion between, oh, I think, Wade and Travis Head. So one of them's going to be very unlucky. Um, but this is the Australian Test cricket team. We, we sort of want it to be hard to get a place in that team. Um, and so, yeah, if you had to press me on one, I'd probably lean just towards Matthew Wade ahead of Travis Head. Um, I just think he's playing really well um, at the moment. Uh, not that Travis Head isn't, but um, I, I don't know. I've just got slightly more confidence in, uh, in Wade overhead at the moment. But, you know, I'll, I'll be open to a lot of different conversations with, you know, the captain, the coach, the other selectors and things like that. Because your big thing is picking the best team to win the next test match, right? You know, some selectors might look for the future. They might pick head over Wade because he's younger and got longer, uh, a longer future in the test team than, than 
Matthew Wade in his early 30s, but you want to pick the team that's going to win the next Test match, right? I just want the six. I just want the six best batsmen in, in Australia in there. Like this is a big series mm. against India in Australia. We we don't need to pick guys on. Oh, well, let's give him a go and see if he's see if he's got it, or you know, oh, let's look to the future here. No, no, we need to look now. <laughs> mm. We've got to win this series against India. Um, what I've found is that if if you look after the now. That the future tends to, to look after itself. You know, like Will Pukowski, for example, he's obviously the future, ho- hopefully. Cameron Green's hopefully the future for, for Australia. But that they have deserved to be in and around the team because they've been dominating Sheffield Shield cricket and putting in really good performances. So, so they're in the best, the best players in the country. So they're the future, but they've had to earn it and they've, they've put, done it by putting performances on the board. I, I just like the idea of picking the best possible team to win now. And then just organically, the future tends to look after itself. You create a good positive culture, a good, hard, you know, tough Australian cricket culture. Yeah, it's tough, that head way um, toss up, isn't it? Because both offer a lot of different qualities to the team. And, you know, you look at uh, both captains, their respective states, uh, both bring different kinds of energy to the team. Uh, What do you think, the, the pros of having a, a Matthew Wade in there over, over Trevor Head would be? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough call either way. Um, it, it really is. Um, I, I think they're both very good players. Mm. Uh, I think Matthew Wade, he's got a couple of test hundreds um, recently. Well, in that last Ashes series in England, when, you know, that, that, that were tough innings, you know, in some of those tough conditions. And he just showed he's got the technique. He's got the fighting qualities. He's just at a place in his life where he's playing his best cricket as well. Like you often hear him when he's interviewed, he talks about, you know, um, cricket's not the be all and end all. I've got a great family at home. So he's in that sweet spot where he knows his game so well. Um, he, he's comfortable and settled in his life. So I, I think all the ingredients are there for him to play his best cricket over the next few years. Um, you know, that perspective, that life perspective, I, I can empathise with that. I was exactly the same. You know, when I was younger, I was so tense and stressed and wanted it so bad. But as you get older, you start to put things into perspective a bit more and take pressure off yourself, relax more. And funny enough, that's when you play your best cricket. And I feel as though Matthew Wade's in that, in that space at the moment. Um, so that's, why, that's probably the reason why I'm, I'm leaning towards Matthew Wade. Like Travis Head, he's a fantastic player and he's got good fighting qualities as well. Um, but he's still got so much more time to develop and grow and, and, and get better as well. So, you know, I, yeah, that's probably why I'm just leaning towards Wadey. And the guy that's uh, making this all really difficult is Cameron Green, made his test debut. He's had a pretty interesting start to his, his test career. It's all sort of been around Virat Kohli. Bowled his first ball to Virat Kohli. His first catch was Virat Kohli. Um, and that was, a, that was an important wicket in the end. He sort of juggled it and, and held on in the end. Um, what did you make of his debut? 11 runs with the with the bat, didn't take a look at the ball, but bowled nine overs, so it was good to see him get through some overs. What did you make of his test debut? And I, and I guess, as you said, that he's he's done the business at Sheffield Shield level. With a guy like him at 21, do you just keep playing him? Do you just keep right out while the team's pretty well put together? Just let him go out there and, and get as many test matches under his belt as he can? Well you still have to perform and I, I'm going to be really interested to watch how he goes in the next few test matches. Like I, I think he should be definitely given this series. No, no, no question about that. At the end of the day, in my book, he's, 
he's got to be in the best six batsmen in the country. So, so his number one role is to score runs for Australia. I thought, um, yes, he only made 11 runs, but I thought he looked so composed and calm at the crease. And I'm sure he probably wasn't feeling that inside, but he looked, he looked good out there. And, and that's a real positive. Obviously, he's made a lot of runs for Western Australia over the last year or so. So, so that's a positive as well. But test cricket is a different um, beast, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I was feeling for him, you know, he's, he's obviously done really well for Western Australia in shield cricket, but then you make the jump to Adelaide Oval, under lights, against India, there's big crowd, billions of people watching on TV. Mm. This is a new experience for him. So we do need to be a little bit patient with that. But that's his, uh, batting is his first job, that, that, and that's what he's got to try and really nail down. I see the bowling as a bonus. But this is what is very exciting as well. We've got a guy who can bat in the top six, but can also bowl 140, coming from that height, helping out the other bowlers, giving them more of a break. That For that balance of the team is just so exciting. But I just, I just want him just to really nail down that batting spot. That, that's got to be the number one uh, focus and priority in my mind. When you look at, his, look at him out as a batter, what excites you about him? I think the composure at the crease is, is, was important for me. I haven't actually seen a lot of him bat live. Uh, so, I'm, as I said, I'm going to be really interested to watch how he goes in the next uh, two or three test matches. Um, I like that he's um, good off the back foot, like he can play the pull shot really well because as a tall player, you're going to get tested with a few of those. You know, in the past, you've seen tall, tall guys get really bothered by that short ball, but he's a guy that plays that short stuff really well. Um, and, and so I think that's a real positive for him. He, he's, he's just his basic technique looks very sound as well. Looks good in defence. Seems to know where his off stump is, so he's letting the ball, the right balls go. So, so the basic game looks pretty sound. And then, and then the batsmanship skills will just develop over time. You know, if he's coming in at number six, he might have to start against spin and um, or the reverse swinging ball, think, things like that. And, and that'll still need some work, you know, and, and some development over time. So we, you're right, we do need to be patient with him. But the whole package is so exciting moving forward. Plays with such soft hands, Mike. It just feels like none of those edges are going to slip. Well, it's a good skill to have, um, you know, if you can. As I said, I haven't seen a lot of him live. So, I'm, yeah, I'm just, going to have, I'm just going to watch and observe really closely in the next few games. Yeah, very exciting prospect. I hope he goes well. I always think, like, you have a player of that ability with that skill set. Geez, he makes overseas tours a lot more interesting. You know, you can play him as that third quick. You can play the two spinners. Maybe you play three spinners and he opens the bowling for four overs. And, and as he gets older, I'm sure being a guy that height, his pace will drop off, but he's got that trajectory. So there's always upside to him. Anyway, we can talk about, talk hours about Cameron Green. He's only played one test match. So let's, uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's, let's move on to the Indians. Now they've got a few decisions to make. Vera Colley's gone home. Shami looks like he's out. Uh, Busted arm. Geez, that looks painful when Pat Cummins hit him. I know they were nine for 36 and you want to try and beat your lowest test score, but <laughs> I don't think anybody was uh, holding it against him for retiring hurt. That looked awful. Um, what are they going to do, Mike? Who would you bring in for this Indian team? Uh, yeah, it's it's the worst possible result for the Indians, really. Losing their captain and best player, arguably the best batsman in the world, and then losing arguably their best fast bowler as well. I know Boomerah is, is a, a great bowler, but um, Shami, the role he plays for that Indian team is just going to be so hard to replace. So it's, it's a real hammer blow for the Indians. I think if I start with a bowling, it might be a bit easier. You've just got a choice out of probably Saini or uh, Mohamed Siraj. Um, both good bowlers. Uh, 
Siraj has got a, a very good first class record um, in the longer form of the game. So maybe he's got a slight edge on Saini, who, who obviously played in the white ball stuff and got smacked around a fair bit. I'm not sure where his confidence levels are, but he's, he's a good bowler as well. Um, but maybe just leaning to, just towards Siraj, you know, um, he'll, he'll do a decent job, but, you know, he's not in the same league as uh, uh, Shami. So, um, yeah, that, that's going to weaken their attack a fair bit. I think from the batting perspective, it's, it's a bit more difficult. I, I'm a huge um, Shubman Gill fan, but I'm also a big KL Rahul fan. And um, so I don't know. If it's up to me, I'm going to stick with Pritby Shaw at the top. I'm going to give him another opportunity. I know there's a lot of talk about his technique and his struggles in Adelaide, but maybe this MCG pitch might suit his game a little bit more. So I'm willing to give him another go. I don't want to just dump him after one test match. I think it could, you know, really affect him mentally moving forward. And then that brings me up to, okay, which way do I go? Shubman Gill in, um, or KL Rahul? And I don't know which way I'd go there. I, I love both those guys. I'd like to see both of them in the, t in the test team, to be honest. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I don't know. I just have to watch them closely, see who's in the best form, see who's in a great space mentally and, and then just make a call from there. But I guess the only other discussion is maybe uh, Rishabh Punt and Ritterman Saha. Do, do you make a change there? Now, I, coming into the series, I was glad India went with Saha because he, he's a fantastic keeper and he's a better wicketkeeper out of the two. And I feel as though the wicketkeeping... Um, Skill is more important than the runs. You're in the job to, you know, they can't afford to put any catches down or miss dumpings and things like that. Having said that, there were two chances that, that he did miss in the last test. Uh, difficult ones, but still. But his batting record, Sahas versus Rishabh Punt, Rishabh Punt's got a good, I think, 10-run better average uh, than what Saha has. And because they're losing Coley and the batting looks a little bit brittle, maybe you consider the better batting option there because you feel like you need to lengthen that batting a little bit. But I'm not making that call just yet. I'm, I'm just throwing that on the table as a point of discussion uh, for the other selectors and, and coach to, to, and captain to sort of uh, think about. Um, but that's the only other one I'd, I'd sort of like, yeah, have, have a bit of a think about. Ricky Ponting thinks Rishabh Pant's a 10 times better player than Ritterman Saha. So I think we know which way he'd go. As a batsman or a keeper? As a player. He said that he's a size a better keeper, given that. But what Pant brings to the team makes him a better player. Well, he, Ricky, Ricky is he's biased though, isn't he? Look, to be honest, <laughs> you know, he's he's coaching the Delhi Capitals and Richard Punt's his star player in there, so of course he's going to go for Richard Punt. But but I, I he's not a better keeper than Saha. Saha's a better wicket keeper. But yes, yeah, so I'll give you that. Richard Punt's a, a prob probably a more effective batsman, but. You know, it would have been interesting to see how Richard Punt went on that uh, yeah. Adelaide Oval pitch when just a bit of movement there and, um, you know, facing Cummins and Hazelwood on that last day. It, it's, it wouldn't have been easy for him either. Are you saying you have no bias, Mike? You've got no lean towards Chennai players? Well, Saha did play for Chennai when I was there, so I am a big fan. And he's a great <laughs> guy. Honestly, a fantastic team man. So, yeah, probably do. Probably do have a bit of a bias there towards Saha. <laughs> we need to get some impartial guests on this podcast far out. <laughs> What about pre-series, Mike? What was your prediction? And do you think the way that India lost that game in Adelaide might change things? I mean, it's going to be tough for them to, to rebound from a loss like that. Yeah, it, is, it will be tough. My, my pre-series uh, prediction was 3-1 Australia, um, which was maybe a little bit controversial. I think I started by saying 2-1 and then, no, looking at it, I, I, I'm not convinced by the Indian batting. And then when, when I heard... Um, 
Virat was going home, I thought, well, that that just, I think Australia is just going to be too good. Now, the spanner in the works was when Warner went down injured <laughs> at the start and then Steve Smith then starts getting back spasms and I'm mm. thinking, oh, no, suddenly Australia's team's looking a bit brittle. But in India's, they're batting, it's good. They're all very, very good players. But it just is a different feel for me from two years ago. You've got Prithvi Shaw, what, what an exciting talent. But on our pitches against our tall, fast bowlers, his technique's going to be really tested, no question. So there was a question mark there. Um, Pujara hasn't played a test match in well, nearly a year. Mm. So it's not going to be that easy for him just to come out of the wilderness, play one first-class match, bang, straight into the cauldron of test match cricket against this attack and bat for as many balls in the, the amount of time that he did uh, last time round. It, it, it's physically very, very demanding to do that. Um, I, you know, so, so already I feel as though their batting's a bit lighter than what it was last time. Mm. Um, then you throw Coley going home, and I feel as though, well, that, that gives Australia a real advantage. Obviously, Smith and Warner back into the Australian team from two years ago as well. So I feel as though India are a little bit weaker and, and Australia are a fair bit stronger because, uh, from two years ago. And so that's why I think Australia should, well, should win the series pretty comfortably. But can India come back and win a game? Will they be able to muster a win out of what's happened already? Yeah, oh, definitely they can. Mm. Mate, you, you look in that first test match, they had Australia, what, seven for 110 or whatever it was, yep. uh, when Tim Payne comes to the crease. They take their catches. Australia's all out for well, not many more. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, Australia could have been out for 100 if they had have taken all their chances. So they can. That they can definitely do it. Now, now it's going to be harder because no Coley, no, no uh, Shammy. That makes it more difficult. But the thing, the thing about these Indians is when they feel like the back's against the wall, everyone's hammering them like, you know, in the press and whatever, some, it somehow sort of brings them closer together. Mm. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be easy for them, but they can. They can do it. Um, they get a bit of a roll on. They get on top of the game and, and you know, you know, you, you just never know in test cricket. That the first test probably explains that. You're just never sure what's going to happen. But it will be tough for them. They've got to pick themselves up pretty quickly mentally. They've got to prepare well for Melbourne and, and give it their best shot. But, um, yeah, it'll be tough. Mm. I worry that they missed their, missed their chance in Adelaide. They had it straight on the ropes. That was their chance to strike. And that would have changed the whole complexion of this series. Australia coming from behind. I mean, they still have to win the game. There's a lot to do. But uh, they go to Melbourne. Conditions will suit them. They won there last time, sure. But no Virat, as you said. Um, they might play two games in Melbourne, the way that uh, things are happening with the pandemic. And then they go to the Gabba, which Australia just don't lose at. Uh, so it's going to be a tough end of the series. So these next two test matches are very important for them because they'd want to go to Gabba either ahead or level because they're not going to, um, I don't think they're going to be able to, to claw back a draw or a win up there to get the result. But we'll wait and see. Let's finish off with some play it or leave it, Mike. You're familiar with this game? Yeah, you might have to remind me of the rules, but um, yep, we'll, we'll see how we go. I'm going to bowl you a scenario. You can either play it or leave it. Sounds pretty straightforward. Yeah, you should, you should be able to get, wrap your head around this one. Okay. First one, Cameron Green to take two or more wickets in the Boxing Day test. Didn't take any wickets in the first test, but back him to take two or more in the second test. Play it or leave it. I'm definitely playing at that. I think he'll definitely get some wickets in the next test match. Yep. yep. No worries whatsoever. Wonderful. Okay. Century opening partnership. There'll be a century opening partnership 
in the second test match. Highest was 70 on a difficult wicket in the Adelaide Oval. Well, the wicket wasn't difficult, but difficult batting conditions. Um, can we see a century opening stand at the MCG? Oh, that's a good question. I reckon I'm going to play at that as well. I reckon there's a good chance of that. Um, I'm going to be interested to see what the MCG pitch is going to be like. Uh, mm. Obviously, we haven't played any cricket on it, so it, may, it might be a little bit sporting, so it might be tough for the batters. But um, I think if it's a traditional MCG pitch, generally the guys in the top order quite enjoy batting there. So there's, a, there's, a, there's going to be a chance. So I'll go, yeah, I'll, I'll defend that one just softly. Play on, yeah. I'd lead that one because I think the opening bowls are fairly good for each side. So I'm, uh, I think new ball yeah. might be might be tough work. Uh, all right, we only got two and a half days in at Adelaide. Will the match go five days at the MCG? Oh, let's hope so. Uh, yeah, I'm going to play that one as well. I'm hoping I'm hoping for a nice, good long five days test match. Um, even the way India went about it in their first innings. They looked like they wanted to bat long periods of time and, and it was kind of refreshing. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, some people out there were saying it's boring and, oh, you know, but that's good old-fashioned tough test cricket. And, and, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. After seeing so much T20 cricket and the one-dayers and guys just smashing it everywhere, it was really nice to see the bowlers bowling well but the batsmen really getting stuck in there and batting long periods of time. So I'm hoping for a five-day, yes. Okay. Steve Smith has gone 11 innings without getting a test match 100. What? At the MCG, he's got 400s. He's got 400s in seven matches. They were all as captain though. So let's not forget that. Um, maybe if they want Steve Smith to get under, they brainstorm as captain for one game at the MCG. Uh, what is, I'm going to say that the streak continues. He doesn't get 100 at the MCG. Play that or leave that. Oh, no, I'm going to leave that. Uh, and the reason why I say that is he's due, obviously, for 100. Yeah. And he, you, have a, you have certain grounds. It's weird where you just feel like it just feels like home. And you, so you mentioned that he's got 400s at the MCG. Um, I know Matthew Hayden had a great record at the MCG as well. It just yeah. seems like you just get there, you just know how the pitch is going to react and you just feel comfortable. And then there's the opposite where you go to certain grounds and no matter what happens, you just know you're not going to score runs. It's just weird how it works. So MCG must be that sort of ground for uh, Steve Smith. So I'm going to lock him in for 100. Was there a ground that you just went to and thought, I'm no chancy? Oh, every time I went to Headingley, um, <laughs> I found it really difficult. I, I don't know what it was. There was a slope on the pitch. It was always overcast. The ball was always seemed to be moving around. I, I just... It was a, whether it was county cricket, whether it was test cricket, whether it was one dayers, it was just a nightmare every single time. <laughs> right, Headingley. Okay. Do you know, Mike, it's been 10 years since the last hat trick by an Australian cricketer in a test match. Peter Siddle on his birthday. We got close in Adelaide. Josh Hazelwood was on a hat trick, dirty with the hat trick ball, bowled it too short. All that, that impeccable length everyone's talking about. He forgot about it on the hat trick ball. We're going <laughs> to see, are we going to see one at the MCG on Boxing Day? A hat trick. Oh, I'll have to let I'll have to let that go. I'd love to see one, but um, no, I, it's a pretty rare thing uh, yeah, to see yeah. a hat trick. So I'll I can't see can't see it happening at MCG. It's just not. It seems like it's. Well, I don't know what the pitch is going to be like, but it's generally quite batter friendly. So surely someone can survive first ball or so. I think India's got a very long tail, and if there's ever a chance of someone <laughs> like a Cummins or Stark getting a hat trick. It's this series. So I wouldn't be surprised if I see one. And the last one, 
Mike Hussey to get what he wants for Christmas. First of all, what is it? And do you reckon you'll get it? Uh, yeah, I probably will get it. Uh, all I really want is some socks and jocks, really. I don't need too much. I'm, I'm pretty happy. Pretty happy I'm going to be home for Christmas. And that, that's, I'm, I'm going to get that too. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. And then I'm, I'm looking forward to getting on the plane and late Christmas day and, and getting over to Melbourne ready for the Boxing Day test. It's, it's going to be exciting. So, yeah, I'll probably pretty much get everything I want for Christmas. I'm pretty happy. So you'll play that one. I'm playing that one, definitely. Played a lot of shots today, haven't I? I think you're, I think you're four out of six. So um, you, from a guy who's just saying he likes <laughs> the blocking old school style test match cricket, you've almost gone a shot of ball here. So uh, you, you converted. You still got, <laughs> you got the T20 cap on um, when you retired. So, uh, mate, we appreciate uh, your time. As always, thanks so much for coming on and wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, and I look forward to catching up soon. That's it for this edition of the Unplayable Podcast. We will be back for Ricky Ponting's recap of day one of the second Photobone test at the MCG. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of Ricky Ponting's recaps after each day of every test match this summer. But for all your cricket news, live scores and video highlights every day, head to cricket.com.au and the CA live app.